This is Sam. And this is Jen. And this is Pegasus Weekly, where we are on a mission to help equestrians earn what they deserve. For our first story, we are heading down south to Florida to look at the brand new eventing facility, Terra Nova. It's a multi-million dollar facility that has come out of nowhere, and it got us thinking, who pays for all this and how do they make their money back? For our second story, we leave Florida and head overseas to Scotland where Horse Scotland is working with the government to raise the popularity of equine sports. In true government fashion, Horse Scotland has produced a report full of all sorts of useful data that can be used to lobby for change and hopefully secure the future of the sport. For our third story, we are taking the time today to dive deep into endurance riding, its history and how the discipline works. We have had many endurance riders sign to Pegasus recently, and this inspired us to learn more about the sport, which we have come to realize is a magnificent discipline that should get more attention. Lastly, we have a fourth and final story this week. We quickly catch up on the latest news out of Kentucky and what has happened with Kentucky Derby winner Medina Spirit and Bob Baffert. All right, with all that said, let's hit our three stories. Our first story, we are heading down south to Florida to look at the ever-expanding number of horse show facilities. Yeah, the more and more we look through the Pegasus news page, the more and more we are baffled by how many budding entrepreneurs seem to be interested in opening a new horse showing facility. Two that come to mind include Terra Nova in Sarasota and the proposed Pegasus facility just outside Oakland, Oregon. For those who haven't heard of it, go and Google Terra Nova Equestrian. It is amazing. Especially for our 3D eventing listeners out there, we're essentially getting our very own World Equestrian Center standard ask facility. Don't get us wrong, Terra Nova does it all. It is built for show jumping, dressage, etc. But its main pride and joy is its custom-built cross-country course that has been engineered so that the entire course has custom state-of-the-art drainage. Meaning, when it launches, it will be the highest quality cross-country course in the world as far as footing and thus safety goes. And from looking at the pictures and promotional video, all this exceptional quality performance does not come at the sacrifice of luxuries. No, it does not. We made the claim that it's essentially a whack for eventers and we meant it. Looking at the stabling facilities of Terra Nova, you would think you are in some Saudi Arabian private stable somewhere. The quality and luxury is so high. And the team at Terra Nova have installed all fiber optics needed to be able to capture all of the action in high quality so the competitors will have unrivaled ability to be able to see their performance and relive those memories. Need we say more? Now that we have gushed about the facility, let's get down to business. Terra Nova has its first show on the 12th of June called Terra Nova Schooling Show and Eventing Derby and it can be found in registered for now on event entries. But its main event, it's coming out into the world, if you may, will be the four-star short it is holding this October. Sarah Murphy, who is the managing director at Terra Nova, stressed that the October event will provide the highest quality competition, but perhaps more importantly, competition for all. That's right. Terra Nova owners, Hannah and Zach, their dream was to not only build the most luxurious and enjoyable three-day eventing facility, but have it achieve a lot more. And by a lot more, we mean contribute to the greater success and health of the sport. In their fall event, Terra Nova will provide events not only for the four-star competitors, but they'll provide events all the way down to poles on the ground to ensure there is an opportunity for beginners to get into the sport and fall in love with the competition. It's a noble cause and one we cannot get behind enough. As when growing any business, and don't for a second think that sports are not a business, you must, must, must invest heavily in the future competitor base. We've all been there. You have your time in the limelight and then you age out or get injured, and you stop competing. When that happens, there has to be a whole new generation of competitors ready to take your spot and continue the sport's growth and success. Hence the honor in what Hannah and Zach are doing at Terra Nova. They understand that to attract spectators and competitors, you need world-class facilities. 
But in order to embolden and protect the sport, you need to provide opportunities for the next generation to compete and grow. Hence their commitment to providing competitions for all levels of riders, which we here at Pegasus HQ love. Now, all of that said, we started this story by talking about the new facilities that seem to be popping up all over the place. And it made us wonder, how do these passionate owners afford all of this? Or perhaps more accurately, how do they rationalize the cost and how do they make money to make the whole thing sustainable? So we did our research and looked at both the established horse show facilities and some of the new glossy ones like what? You see, traditionally, horse show facilities start small. A passionate individual decides to open a horse park and applies for dates to secure the right to be able to hold USEF licensed events. Once they secure those dates, they build a nice yet affordable facility either with their own funds or what they loan from a bank or private investors. Then they start hosting shows, often small and modest to start with, and start to make back money in horse show entry fees, etc. Once they earn enough money to pay back their loans, they then begin to reinvest the profits back into the facility to make it bigger and better. They continue this cycle until it hits a level of professionalism that they're happy with. That's how most horse shows make money, and that is why a lot of horse shows are not big flashy affairs as the likes of WEC. And speaking of WEC, they are what we're calling for the sake of this podcast, the non-traditional horse show facility or new way of doing things to make it more simple. Yeah, these new facilities are coming in hard and fast and investing hundreds of millions of dollars in building large, beautiful facilities from day one. And you have to ask, can they earn enough from horse show entry fees to make back the hundreds of millions of dollars invested? And the answer is no, of course they can't. We may all complain about event entry fees and how they are so high, but they are not high enough to warrant paying back the hundreds of millions of dollars invested in building the place. So then how are they making their money back, especially if they're opening these facilities without securing the dates to host USDF events? The answer is real estate. You will notice that when the developers of these large, flashy facilities secure the land, they don't use it all for the horse park. In fact, they only use a small portion of that land for the horse park. Exactly. That's because they intend to develop the rest of the land and sell the properties for a major profit. What they develop in that land and why they choose that land can vary from location to location. In Wellington, for example, they build luxury stables to serve the horse park that they then sell the land to private owners who in turn rent it out each year to horse show participants who come down for the winter. At WEC, we think they are building both private and commercial real estate that will not only serve the horse park spectators and participants, but also the town of Akala. And if you invest hundreds of millions in the park, then you can expect that they make over a billion back on the real estate sales. Which means they make a huge profit, which in turn helps them pay for and fund the horse park. In the case of WEC, who are horse passionate people, this is how you build one of the best horse show facilities on the planet. Give away free stabling and huge prize purses and not lose all your money. You build a business out of the asset and generate enough profit that the horse show, which is your real passion and focus, pays for itself and allows you to subsidize some of the costs so that the spectators and competitors can have the best experience ever at a price point they can afford. So what's our takeaway here, Sam? Large, beautiful horse show facilities like Terra Nova in Sarasota are becoming more prevalent across America because they are are eschewing the traditional horse show business model of starting small and growing. And instead, they are coupling their investment in the horse park with the sale of surrounding blocks of land, which is empowering them to provide state-of-the-art facilities to us, the spectators and competitors, at a subsidized cost. For our second story, we are heading over to Scotland where the equestrian community is trying to raise more awareness about the sport at the government level. But before we jump into this wonderful story, let's sprinkle a little bit of context for those that are new to the Pegasus journey. Here at Pegasus, we are on a mission to help equestrian businesses earn what they deserve. There's so much talent and expertise in our industry and it shouldn't go to waste. The norm shouldn't be that if you're breaking even, then you're doing great. For many of you, horses are at the very center of your life. And so we're here to serve you in new creative ways because the status quo just isn't working. 
whether that's by registering for horse shows in a fashion that makes it easy and efficient for the rider, horse show, and the governing body, or by creating gig economies that enable professionals to monetize their experience, one thing is for certain. We go deep into what makes the equestrian economy work so that you can make data-driven decisions and add a few more tools to your tool belt. So back to our Scottish story. Since we love learning ways to help grow our sport here in America and the businesses that serve it, we get really excited when we learn what other countries are doing to drive our same mission. Horse Scotland, for those that aren't familiar, is the national organization for all equestrian sports and activity in Scotland. And they, similar to our organizations here, hope to increase participation and heighten awareness at the government level of what the equestrian community has to offer. A new manifesto was just published, which aims to put Scotland's equestrian economy on the Scottish government's radar while increasing inclusivity and modernizing regulation. Last month, Horse Scotland released its 2021 document, which shows data on Scotland's equestrian sector and their plans for the next four years. So we're providing some key takeaways here. To start, the Scottish equestrian economy is estimated to be worth £335 million and Scottish racing contributes an additional £306 million. Now, compared to the $102 billion contribution to the equestrian community here in the USA, $26 billion of that being from the racing industry alone, that doesn't seem like a lot. But we have to remember that in Scotland, it is a pretty small country, like the size of South Carolina. So it isn't an insignificant impact. Horse Scotland is trying to recruit new participation to the sport by tackling some of the misconceptions that we also face here in America, such as elitism, improving accessibility, and modernizing regulations and licensing costs. They're also developing breeding programs for native Scottish breeds and promoting the welfare of their horses by licensing sanctuaries and improving their horse traceability, something we're also working on here at Pegasus. Horse Scotland Chairman Grant Turnbull said the purpose of the manifesto is to heighten awareness at the government level of what the equestrian community offers, not just in terms of economic input, but from a health and well-being perspective. And they intentionally launched this document prior to the Scottish election, which occurred on May 6th. Turnbull also said that he wanted to show all they can do and would like the government's recognition so that they could build on it for the future, adding they hope riders and owners will use the information from the manifesto to lobby on any issues or concerns in the equestrian industry they are affected by. Here's some more stats from the manifesto. There's about 200,000 riders in Scotland. There are about 70,000 horses and 22,400 horse-owning households, both rapidly growing numbers. The manifesto estimates that when you add it all up, there are about 22 million riding days in Scotland each year. Now, comparing to the United States, because we can't help ourselves, we have about 9.2 million horses here with about 1.8 million horse owners. But again, Scotland's still punching well for their size. A stat I found interesting is that there are 441,000 ex-rider households in Scotland, meaning someone who used to ride but no longer does probably due to budget or time constraints. And why I think that matters is that those ex-riders probably have a deep-rooted love for the sport and want to see it thrive and therefore would be willing to help vote in favor of any positive government equestrian program. For organizations looking at the equestrian economy and supporting data to help promote change, it's a worthy note to not only look at the current participants, but to also rally those former riders who probably wish they too could be actively riding. We bet you'll get their support. Regarding the riding activity of choice in Scotland, nearly all riders like to hack, which with the vast majority also involved in exercising and schooling. Horse Scotland found that through their efforts in gaining more government support, they've had a lot of interest and engagement, but said it's ultimately down to the membership. Horse Scotland can do what it can, but they need people to communicate with others to ensure that their story is told in a very positive and proactive light. Horse Scotland board director John Burns said he feels like the equestrian sport has been forgotten about at the government level. He said... 
We need to let them see what the equestrian community offers the country as a whole, be it from vets to farriers or the support of industry. The community is huge, but sometimes it gets overlooked. And as we're reading that, we can't help but have the same hope to accomplish the same task here in America. Horse Collins said that people need to speak to their representatives and tell them what value horses give them as an individual and who supports them within that. Hey, are you an equestrian event organizer looking to put on your next clinic or schooling show? Pegasus is about to release its new event management system, which is a modern platform that makes it easy to accept entry registrations, receive digital signatures for your event paperwork, as well as manage the logistics and scheduling of your event. You can even digitally showcase your vendors and sponsors so that brands have much better visibility than the traditional logo on a fence. Pegasus has made it easy to run an event from start to finish with features designed for everyone involved, especially the riders, who can now easily register and receive real-time updates. Gone are the days of running your event through Facebook or tech from the 90s. Check out the launch of the Pegasus event management system at www thepegasus.app. That is www.thepegasus.app. Now, Sports Scotland, the national agency for sport in Scotland, said that they're going to work with Horse Scotland as it develops plans to increase participation in equestrian sports. So, what's the takeaway here, Jen? Horse Scotland, the national organization for all equestrian sports and activity in Scotland, is seeking to empower the equestrian community to increase the levels of participation and growth in the country's equestrian sector. They recently published a manifesto with supporting data that they hope the government and members of the community will use as a tool for change. Since the equestrian sport is an international one, there's a lot of incentives and learnings here that other countries, like our own, can definitely apply. For our third story this week, we are going to take the time to explore endurance riding as an equestrian discipline. Yeah, we have had quite a few endurance riders join the Pegasus platform as of late, and to celebrate their joining the Pegasus herd, we decided to share with you the story behind this lesser-known equestrian discipline, because the more we researched it, the more we fell in love with it. In love. In many ways, it is what we all wish competitive horse riding could be, and so we are super excited to take this opportunity to really sell you on its merits, and hopefully inspire some of you to explore entering it as a sport. Endurance riding, for those that don't know or have heard of it but never really understood it, is essentially, as the name suggests, the marathon race of the equestrian world. Over the course of a day, competitors ride their horses about 160 kilometers or 100 miles, navigating their way to checkpoints where a veterinarian assesses the health of the horse to make sure it is sound before the rider continues to the next checkpoint. The rider that hits all the checkpoints the quickest is the winner, and in most cases, the event takes the average participant about 15 to 16 hours to complete. Endurance riding was started in the United States in 1955, Wendell Roby and a group of equestrians rode from the Lake Tahoe area across the Sierra Nevada Range to Auburn in under 24 hours following the historic Western States Trail. This ride soon became known as the Tevis Cup, and it remains the most difficult of any 100-mile ride in the world because of the severe terrain, high altitude, and 100-degree temperatures. Endurance riding as a sport jumped across the pond to Europe in the 1960s, and you could say it wasn't really arriving in Europe, but instead it was coming home. Yeah, because while endurance riding 
did formally start in America, the Americans were actually inspired by European history. Leading up to World War I, Russian and Polish cavalry units ran breeding programs to complete their rigorous military cavalry selection program, which required horses to carry 300 pounds. That's 140 kilograms for our European listeners. Over 100 miles or 160 kilometers in a single day. Hence, why endurance riding sets its race length at 100 miles or 160 kilometers. It's the same standard as the European militaries used to enforce. Except these days, we don't require the horses to carry 300 pounds, and they take routine breaks and health checks along the way to make sure they are not being hurt or injured by the task at hand. Considering all of this, you won't be surprised to hear that Arabians are the best horses for the discipline with their desert-dwelling origins. To go a little deeper on the safety aspect, as safety always comes first, over the course of an endurance race, you will be inspected by a veterinarian at every checkpoint, and you cannot continue to the next checkpoint until the veterinarian clears both the horse and the rider. One of the key things that veterinarians check at each checkpoint is the horse's heart rate. Their heart rate? Yeah, their heart rate. The horse has its heart rate checked and it's typically required for the horse to have a heart rate of 64 beats per minute or lower before it's allowed to continue with the race to make sure it doesn't compete itself into serious harm, as many horses are prone to do due to the enjoyment of running with the herd. That number of 64 beats per minute changes depending on the climate and weather, of course. For if it is an unusually hot day, as is often the case with the Tevis Cup in Sierra Nevada, then extra precautions must be taken. Other than heart rate, the veterinarians check the horses for lameness, etc. And if there is any sign the horse is struggling, then they're pulled from the race. If all is fine and the horse is cleared to continue, then the horse and rider must wait a compulsory 40 to 60 minutes during which time the horse is fed and watered and then they are cleared to set off to the next checkpoint. This is where, in our opinion, endurance riding as a sport gets really exciting and something we think many riders would appreciate. The checkpoints are not just spots in a field a long way away. No, they're all over the place. They could be on top of a mountain, down in a creek bed, etc. It sounds more like orienteering than a marathon. Exactly, and that's what makes it such a great sport. Unlike most of the sports that are run on a composed, controlled course, endurance racing takes place in the great outdoors, just like orienteering. Every competitor is given a GPS and a map with a checkpoints mark, as well as major obstacles of note to be aware of along the race trail. And that's it. From there, it's up to the rider to navigate the landscape, find the checkpoints, and manage the horse's energy levels and obstacles, all while navigating the map under race conditions. I don't know how you can make a horse sport more fun. You're in the wildlands, riding horses like your forebearers, exploring new territories, and you get the joy of competition. Speaking of competition, just like any endurance event with checkpoints, there is some serious strategy that goes into endurance races. Yeah, it's not just a point and go. No, it's definitely not. Considering the long distances and hours you spend out on the trail, the competitors must be very strategic in their choices. Some of the inputs a rider can choose to manage and alter to fit their game day strategy includes the pace they travel and amount of time they spend in the saddle and the route they take. Do you want to take the long, slow path that winds its way up the ridge? Or do you want to take the short, steep path that will tire your horse quicker but save you a lot of time? Alternatively, you can take the short, steep path and get off the horse so you can run alongside it, saving the horse that extra energy. Exactly, because very interestingly, in endurance racing, you only need to be in the saddle when you cross the start and finish line. So if you fancy yourself a good runner, you can make the tactical decision to run next to your horse when necessary to save your horse's energy for when the horse can really get up to speed and put its speed and horsepower to good use. It's these sort of tactics and strategies that really got us pumped over here at Pegasus the more we learned about endurance riding. We can't imagine a competition style that would forge a stronger bond between horse and rider. As with the long distance and hours in the saddle, you as the rider also become an athlete in the competition. And so, like any team sport, the bond between horse and rider would be so heartfelt upon completion of the race. Speaking of completion, how do they determine a winner in an endurance race? As aforementioned, in your standard endurance race, the winner is the first horse to cross the line having hit all checkpoints. But interestingly, winning is not the most coveted award. Yeah, the award everyone wants to win is the BC, which stands for 
for best condition. The BC is awarded to the horse that finishes in the top 10 finishers that had the best performance, relatively speaking. Meaning, the horse that performed the best when you take into account the weight of the rider, the vet scores it received at each checkpoint, etc. Say, for example, you have a horse that comes in sixth, but its rider is twice as heavy as the riders on horses one through five, and it received top vet scores at each checkpoint along the way. It's going to receive the BC. The horse that came in first will still be awarded first place as far as the records go. But for those who know, the only real award they all care about is the BC. Which, when you think about it, is an award that rewards a rider for completing the course as quickly as possible while managing everything the best. Exactly. You may have been the heaviest rider, but your route selection allowed you to save a lot of time. Or you have taken a little longer to navigate the open desert, but your horse preserved its energy as a result so the vet gave you a better vet score, etc. So you can see how strategy comes into this. And this makes this a horse race that really gives the rider the freedom to be creative and in many ways have greater control over their ability to win the event. And you get to see amazing places, explore incredible landscapes, and travel the world. What more could you ask for? So what's our takeaway here, Sam? We are celebrating endurance riding today to support all the endurance riders who signed up to the Pegasus app. And in doing so, we've discovered that endurance riding is an equestrian sport that deserves a lot more attention. It is the horse experience we all dream of, requiring riders to navigate wild landscapes, take care of their horse, and manage their resources effectively, with the top award per race going to the best horseman, not just the fastest rider. You know we usually cover three stories, but today we're bringing you four, as the news broke just last night about Baffert, so we couldn't not talk about it. I can't believe the developing news that just keeps coming out about the Triple Crown this year. Here's a quick recap as we've covered the ongoing story these last few weeks. So of course we know Medina Spirit won the Derby, and then it was discovered that Medina Spirit tested positive for a banned corticosteroid. Baffert said that it was an antifungal ointment that contained the banned substance, which he was treating for dermatitis. Regardless, the test came back positive, and no amount of it can be in a horse's system on race day. Well, they were cleared to run in Saturday's Preakness and Medina Spirit finished third, so a Triple Crown winner is out of the question this year. Well, yesterday, the New York Racing Association announced that it has suspended Baffert and temporarily banned him from entering horses at racetracks in the state. Therefore, Medina Spirit is prohibited from competing in the Belmont Stakes on June 5th. New York Racing Association President and CEO David O'Rourke said, in order to maintain a successful thoroughbred racing industry in New York, the NYRA must protect the integrity of the sport of our fans, the betting public, and racing participants. That responsibility demands the action taken today in the best interest of thoroughbred racing. He added the fact that Baffert has had five violations involving impermissible levels of medication in his horses over the last 13 months contributed to their decision. Interestingly, on the note about gambling, if you recall in last week's episode, we mentioned the ones who bet on the races don't get any kind of money back in a cheating scandal. Well... Gamblers are filing a class action lawsuit against Bob Baffert, who claimed they bet serious money on the horse that finished second, Mandaloon, and if it wasn't for Baffert's cheating, they would have won a fortune. And one interesting last point to consider, when Baffert's horses, including Medina Spirit, ran last week at the Plimwicko Racecourse, they all performed terribly, which one would expect if they were not doping as usual due to the heightened scrutiny they are currently receiving. Yeah, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? When you're not scrutinized, you dope and perform well. When you are scrutinized, You can't dope, and so the horses perform badly. Everything else aside, the logic of it all is starting to work against Bob. So what's our takeaway here, Sam? There are only more questions surrounding Bob's legacy and his future in racing. But one thing is for certain at the moment. We won't be seeing Bob nor Medina Spirit at the Belmont this year. Thoroughbred racing is the one equestrian sport that attracts non-equestrian fans from all over the world, as well as a lot of scrutiny from animal activists. These doping allegations are undermining the thoroughbred racing industry's integrity and making people, especially gamblers, lose faith in the sport.
We have a few industry updates this week. First, for all you adventurers out there, the Maryland Five Star at Fairhill taking place this October announced $300,000 in prize money. As an adventure myself, it's super exciting to see the eventing world get the kind of prize money that we're so used to seeing with show jumpers. The second update is from FEI, whose minimum eligibility requirements changes go into effect on July 1st. The changes will impact athletes who are uncategorized, D and C class athletes competing at the CCI three-star long, both four-star short and long, and five-star long format levels. The USEF requirements to compete at these levels remains the same. You can also check Pegasus to read more about the highlighted changes. That's it from Pegasus HQ this week. We hope you enjoyed those four stories. A quick reminder that we grab these stories from the news page on the Pegasus platform each week. So if you want to learn more about these stories or just enjoy a variety of global equestrian news in a single, easily scrollable place, head over to www.thepegasus.app news. If you're keen to learn more about Pegasus, including the features our team is building for the equestrian community, follow us on social media at the Pegasus app. We'd also love to hear from you and the kinds of resources that you would love to see built for your own equestrian business. So send us a message directly on Pegasus or email us at hello at the Pegasus.app. Lastly, if you want to be featured on Pegasus Weekly, either just a shout out to share the love or you want to tell the world about the amazing work your business, charity or school is doing, head over to www.thepegasus.app. And before we go, we want to give a shout out to our newest Pegasus members. Hi to Linda Sisperek, an equestrian enthusiast and real estate agent. So if you're looking for an equestrian property, send Linda a message on Pegasus. Hello to Katie Hebert, professional FBI dressage writer and trainer with some really stunning sport horses for sale. Welcome Audrey Bernstein, another awesome dressage rider. And welcome to Katie Carter, a hunter-jumper rider. And Tiffany Trotter, an inventor out of Area 3. And a belated happy birthday to my mom, Lori Tankle, the woman responsible for bringing me into the equestrian world and who taught me how to ride before I learned how to walk. Lori is in the Ocala, Florida area with her thoroughbred off-the-track, Gabriel, who I'm secretly trying to steal and bring to Virginia with me. Happy birthday, Lori. And that wraps up this week's episode. We'll catch you all next week. Bye.